Welcome to the Resurrection People podcast with Preston Sharp, pastor of Sacrament Church in Nashville, Tennessee, and curator of The Art of Preaching. Each week, we look at three readings from the Bible, drawn from the Revised Common Lectionary. Find more at theartofpreaching.substack.com. Hello, and welcome back to the Resurrection People podcast. Today, we are looking at our Old Testament reading, Exodus 14, 19 through 31. Leading up to this reading, Israel has been set free from captivity in Egypt. Uh, The events of the Passover have occurred, but Pharaoh's decision to let them go is not their final obstacle. Pharaoh has now changed his mind and is pursuing the people with the best of his army. In our reading, Israel finds themselves then with Pharaoh's charging armies on one side of them and a giant sea on the other side of them. Now, we've talked about this before, but C in the Old Testament represents evil itself. It stands for chaos and confusion, that's that which cannot be controlled. As recently as the 18th century, explorers believed that if they traveled too far in the seas, they would find sea monsters and perhaps the underworld. In fact, you've seen some of the maps where it looks like you could actually fall off of the world and into the sea. So the sea represents the great gulf, the great obstacle, the thing that holds humanity back. Now, the story of the Red Sea crossing is a true story, but it's also a typology. It points to something deep about humanity. Israel cries out to God, questioning God's plan. Did you bring us out here just to die in the desert? And God tells them he will fight the battle. They only need to be still. So our reading today is about what God does. God takes the initiative for their deliverance. Israel has been led by God's presence in the form of fire at night, clouds during the daytime, and here the cloud moves between the people of Israel and the Egyptians, which means that they're separated by heavier than usual darkness. Moses stretches out his arms, and God gives a strong east wind which blows all night long, and this creates a path through the sea. So God uses a few different things, supernatural activity in the form of an angel, human activity, Moses, and non-human activity, wind, altogether. What's the effect? The effect is an act of creation. God is still the one who is creator. Dry land appears in the midst of chaos. This points us back to the Genesis story when dry land appears out of the seas. In creation, the world begins with watery chaos, with seas, and God calls forth the dry land. He calls forth the order. God creates beauty, liberation, rescue, healing out of chaos. This creative act serves as a vehicle for the creation of a liberated people. God's action as creator and redeemer are together here. They're integrated. So the result is not only redemption, but new creation. This prompts human response in two ways. So the humans respond in two ways. First, Under the cover of darkness, the people of Israel walk through the sea on dry land. This is an act of faith. It's an appropriation of a gift created quite apart from their own doing. There's a question that would linger, I imagine. How do we know the waters will stay parted? They take the action trusting that the God who brought them out of Egypt will not leave them to die under the Egyptian army or to drown in the sea. 
So that's the first thing they do. They step out. But second, we see that the Egyptians follow Israel's lead. God's creative activity makes possibility then not just for redemption or creation, but also judgment. And it's by the same means. The Egyptians are working against creation. They're subverting God's intentions. And so they place themselves in diametric opposition to what God has brought into being. I once had a string of days with a terrible migraine. I'd wake up every morning with just a horrible pain. Often it would start in the day with just fogginess mostly, and then just get worse throughout the day until it was unbearable. Now, when you have a migraine, the thing that feels the worst is sunlight. (laughs) Now, the sunlight is a beautiful and wonderful thing. And on any other day, I'd want to bask in the sunlight. And when your body's working correctly, it's wonderful. Even when your body's not working correctly, sunlight can actually be healing. But when there's something like this, like a migraine wrong in your body, this beautiful, amazing thing that God has made can feel like the worst pain ever. When our lives are entrenched in sin and brokenness, when we move away from God's creation and liberation, from God's desire for the world, and then we come in, pre- in, in the presence of God's beauty, it hurts. It actually hurts. That's the nature of God's judgment. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Great Divorce, paints this picture of heaven where when people enter it, the grass is so hard that it actually hurts your feet. It's not that the grass is inherently hurtful in God's new creation. No, it's, it's more real than you are. <laughs> Another way to think about it is for some, God's new world will be experienced, at least initially, as something extremely unpleasant. If your heart is bent towards hate, You've given your life to the exclusion and oppression of other people, and then you're in the presence of true love, that will feel hurtful. If you're a racist and you see the beautiful tapestry of people in God's new world, that will be extremely uncomfortable for you because you have worked against God's creation and liberation. In this story, we see God's liberating purposes actually swallow up the Egyptian army. This thing that God has created for healing and liberation becomes a tool of judgment to those who work against it. And we even see the warriors of Egypt cry out a confession. Let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. They confess that. That's a confession of who God is, but it's not true repentance. They've realized, okay, Israel's God is who he says he is. But there are no steps towards actually seeking God's liberation. As morning breaks, the sea is calm and the shore is covered with the Egyptian dead. Chaos has been overcome. The Israelites have crossed safely to the other side. God has delivered his people. Israel is free. Now, when the people see the great work that God has done, they respond in a number of ways. It says they revere God and they believe in God's servant Moses. The word fear here in this passage is used both for fearing Pharaoh earlier in the story and for revering God. Fear has to do with this acknowledging power. But this idea of fear is a bit different in the ancient world than it is today. In Exodus 1, Pharaoh is intimidated because the Israelites who he is oppressing are growing at a rapid rate. So he tries to control the population by killing all the baby boys. Remember, this is why Moses was sent down the river in the first place. 
endeavoring to carry out his vicious plan, he commissions the Hebrew midwives to do it for him. But it says the Israelite midwives feared the Lord. They had more respect and honor for God than they did for the king of Egypt. These are amazing women, strong women who stand up to Pharaoh, who go against his plan. And likewise, here at the crossing of the Red Sea, it says, And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, and the people, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. It took the span of 19 chapters for the faith of the Israelites to catch up with the faith of these strong midwives. And often for a community to change direction, to move prophetically into new space. It takes a few feisty people who are willing to change the story and stand up for what is right. It takes a few people to trust when circumstances look grim, when a population looks like it's about to be wiped. Where does the tide seem turned against you? The Hebrew midwives can serve as a reminder of God-empowered strength in the midst of overwhelming opposition. Israel acknowledges that God's power is greater than Pharaoh's power. That's what the whole story's been about. The God of Israel is greater than the Egyptian gods. God is greater than anything else we put our trust in. God is greater than whatever claims power in our world. God is greater than all the false messages which attempt to shape our lives. And when we say greater, we're not talking about just raw power here. We're talking about this is the one who cares for his people and responds. The two events, deliverance from Egypt and the parting of the Red Sea, remind us that redemption and creation go together. God's creational goals have been brought to a climax. The forces of chaos are decisively overcome and the world is reestablished on a firm foundation. For Israel, the story doesn't end at Passover. It can't end there. It's not the same story if Israel leaves Egypt but dies at the Red Sea. It still might be inspiring. The scrappy community is set free from oppression, but ultimately God's natural world gets the best of them. But the one true God is not just the one who sets free. He's the one who creates. He's the Lord of creation. He speaks and dry ground appears. In a similar way, the Christian story is not the same without resurrection. It might still be an inspiring story. Jesus led a lot of people into a new way of living, died a martyr's death, was an inspiration to the world, but ultimately the natural world and the forces of the world get the best of him. In Christian language, we can say these two events remind us that the cross and the resurrection always go together. The triune God always has the final answer. No hedging. God's creating and liberating purposes and his great love will always prevail. Thanks for listening to the Resurrection People podcast. Subscribe, rate, and review to help us get the word out. You can hear full sermons at sacramentchurch.com and find out more at theartofpreaching.substack.com.